The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Very active starting a business. It takes a lot of gumption. I really want to dig in deep, figure out what makes these people tick, how they are leveraging their success to make the rest of the world a better place. You know, maybe have a couple of giggles along the way. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Kilroy Report, the podcast that shares the stories of entrepreneurs and agency owners doing extraordinary things in an ordinary world. Now here's your host, Tim Kilroy. Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome to the Kilroy Report, where we talk about extraordinary people creating extraordinary businesses in ordinary times. But they are kind of extraordinary at the moment. But anyways, that's beside the point. Today, I am here with Nathan Hirsch from Ecom Balance. Now, I have known Nathan for, I don't know, three or four years. And Nathan has been kind of an extraordinary entrepreneur. He started selling baby stuff, became disillusioned, started, and, and I don't even, maybe you don't even like babies anymore. Who knows? And then he, then he started a VA company that exited to the half and now as a multi-billionaire or at least a many thousandaire either one don't know where the, where that where that netted out he's he's has done some things uh, again in the outsource space and and now he's really focused on a, a really new exciting company called Ecom Balance and thanks for showing up Nathan yeah thanks for having me it's funny i i did 400 podcasts from 2015 to 2019, and, and then I took a little break. So you're my first podcast in probably wow. a, a good well, year so like, plus now. So are you, are you going to be like, you're like wicked rusty, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I've, I've well, I can brush the rust off in the first 10 well, minutes Well, that's why so. you couldn't connect. That's right. That's why we, we had some technical issues at the beginning where you couldn't figure out because you'd never used to, you'd never used Zoom before. <laughs> I have this uh, Yeti that's a little bit off screen right now, and I had to pull it out of the storage and then set it up for the first time in a while. Oh, it's like, yeah, I had to dust it off. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. So, so, and, and I must say one of the things that when we first met, I was just uh, amazed at how available you were a sort of like any opportunity to be in front of an audience was, it seemed like you would, you would take it. Now, I know that most entrepreneurs actually start to think about their time as, as an incredibly valuable resource, but is it just because you wanted to show your pretty face everywhere or was it vanity really that, get, that made this happen? There's a certain amount of hustle. I think any new entrepreneur needs to put in if they, if they truly want it. And for sure, I mean, during the, the free up days, like those four years, I, I was hustling and, and I had a great team behind me. They were putting in hundreds of hours every single week, probably thousands of hours. And, but I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity. I, I knew we had something with free up and I wanted to get in front of every community going on my first podcast for the, or going on a podcast for the first time was a really thrilling experience for me. I want to get out there. Now I'm a little bit pickier. I've got some rules on what podcasts I'll go on and, and how often I'll do it. But I, I also just love networking with other entrepreneurs. Even if it's not a podcast, I, I try to set up networking calls every single month and get to know people. And there's a lot of people who helped me along the way that when I, when I was nothing and I had this crazy concept of free up or like, Hey, this is great. Like, let me get you on the podcast. Let me get you in front of our audience. Let us personally refer you. And I don't want to forget about those people um, just because we exited free up and, and have worked on some other ventures. Yeah. All right. So, so, so tell me, you know, a little bit about the decision to sell free up and then, and then let's walk through a little bit of outsource school and, and now, uh, now econ balance. 
Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, we grew free up from, from nothing, from a $5,000 investment to doing about a million dollars in the first year, five million in the second, I think it went like nine and 12. And so we were having a pretty good fourth year. And one of our clients yeah. reached out to us, the Hoth, and they had used free up. They liked free. They had owned some like writing freelancer platforms and, and a large SEO and PPC agency and a bunch of other companies as well. And uh, they expressed interest in, in buying us. And we looked at so many things. I mean, this was pre-COVID. So the economy at that time was at like an all-time high. We saw that maybe maybe it was a good time. We knew that certain structures would have to change if we were to go from 12 million to 50 million or whatever. And there, it's new territory for us. We could crush it. We, it could go poorly. Anything could kind of happen there. And and I think one thing that really wowed us was Mark Hargrove and David Martin, just the the amazing entrepreneurs and people that they were. And they, they grew companies. They they won all these employee awards for great employee happiness and, and great yeah. culture. And they really knew what they were doing. And if we were going to sell free up, they were the people to, to go to. So it was a lot of talking to my partner, Connor, talking to my family, my wife, figuring out if it was the right move. And we didn't want to look back. If we were going to do it, we were going to make the best decision possible based on the information we had. And and that's really what ended up happening. How long did that process take? Over six months. It was very long and and very draining and very stressful. (laughs) Now, now, was most of that time before you made the sort of emotional decision to sell? Or was most of it after you made the decision? the emotional decision itself. Most of it was after, and we kind of took the mentality that we, we were going to pretend like we weren't going to sell it, that the deal was going to fall through and we were going to keep running the business, keep growing the business. Exactly. Cause they could back out anytime until we actually signed the paper and we actually drove to Tampa to their office. I mean, we could have gotten to Tampa and they're like, Hey, we changed our mind and we would have driven back and still had to run our company. So you got there and the door is locked. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, the lawyers and stuff took the most time and that wasn't really their fault or our fault. Lawyers have, it's just another Tuesday for, for the lawyers doing business deals. For us, it's like a, a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having been through a couple of acquisitions myself, lawyers, lawyers do what lawyers do and they're doing it for all the right reasons to protect you in case the, to give you protection in case things go awry, even though you can't see that thing as being even remotely possible. But that's what they get paid for. Cool. So, 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 when you exited out, did you guys stay with the business at all, or were you just sort of? It was just done. Sixty days, and we were out. And honestly, it didn't even take the the sixty days. We we said we'd stay on to to help with any transition. They transitioned pretty quickly, and we were out of there and on to the next thing. All right, and then and and so then and then the next thing you popped up with was outsource school. Yeah, I mean the the pandemic like, hit, so which is which is like an abstraction of free up, right? <laughs> kind of. So, I mean, we got their permission to build an education product around hiring and our hiring processes and that was outsource school and I think both of us leaving the deal, I know my business partner Connor, I didn't even think I would see him for a year. I thought he was going to go travel the world and I was going to take a bunch of time off and then the pandemic hit and lockdowns and we were stuck inside and we're like, "All right, I guess if we're going to be on side, we we might as well <laughs> Um, start another company. And, and that's when it came up the idea for outsourcing, which is great. And we've been humbled by the the amount of great feedback we've gotten for it. I think both Connor and I were itching to, to do something um, bigger, something we could grow an actual service or, or product opposed to education and training. And, right. and outsource school really allowed us to kind of buy time to figure that out because we didn't at the time have any idea of what we wanted to do next. Right. And so, and so essentially what you're telling me is you outsource school simply because you were locked inside and cleaning out the garage just seemed like 
such a like a tough thing to do you decide to build a new business right <laughs> yeah i mean at the time i was at my condo so it wasn't that that big of a garage but yeah i mean it, it, it's funny it, and it's a much different business than, than even econ balance or or free up i mean you're not with a training product like what's the worst thing that happens someone asks for like a refund or something that right, you're not exactly. really putting out fires like the stress level is severely lower than when i would call a, a normal type of business yeah because i think it's it's much more about fear of 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 capitalizing on an opportunity rather than a fear of failure. Yeah. And and you're right on that. The capitalizing. I mean, if we had waited two years to launch outsource school, we might not have been relevant in the VA hiring space anymore. So it was almost like if we're going to do it, we should probably do it right after we sold free up. Right. And, and so now let's move on to to Econ Valley. What happened? Like, how did you, sorry, Econ Balance, not Econ Valley. I don't know what the, I don't even know what that is. So, so tell us about Econ Balance and and why this seemed like the right business to start now. So there were a lot of things that that led up to it. First of all, in outsource school, we have a a training called the the bookkeeping formula and it's how to outsource your bookkeeping and it ended up being one of our most popular bookkeeping or one of our most popular trainings. So that was a little uh, light bulb. And then we started consulting with clients at the time. We didn't know what we wanted to do next. So we, we did a little consulting and we ended up not really liking consulting and deciding that we never wanted to be consultants. But but one thing that, that kind of stood out was every company we went into, we went into for the first month or so, we revamped all their finances, their bookkeeping, their reports. So we could actually get real numbers to, to make decisions and help them make decisions. And that was something we learned a lot at FreeUp to have immaculate books, to have KPIs that we track, to have a, a monthly meeting at the end of every month where we get the report and we go through it together. And it's something that Connor and I were, were comfortable with. So we, in, in our brainstorming over the past two years and, and all the coffee shops we met up on, we, we always love finance. I mean, Connor and I invest a lot in stocks and, and stuff like that. We're obviously very, we're very frugal and we have our own personal finance mentalities that we budget and, and go through. We, we like finance in general. We didn't know if we want to teach people finances. And then that kind of led us to the, the whole bookkeeping thing through the consulting. So we started interviewing people, entrepreneurs on their, their bookkeeping pain points, what they like about their current bookkeepers, what they don't like. And, and that kind of gave us the idea to create the, the easiest, most hands-on, hands-off bookkeeping solution out there targeted towards e-commerce sellers, since that's our industry, although we can help other um, yeah. businesses as well, but really focused on helping people understand their numbers and not just getting a report every month, but getting an analysis and interpretation to help them make decisions because that's what numbers are all about. Right. And, and I and also if you are handling the the if you're if you're getting a an upfront look at dozens or hundreds of e-com sellers every month, you must be able to see the things that make sense, right? What what are what are the, like what are the right ratios? Cost of goods to retail price to cost of advertising that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And it kind of blew our mind how little people knew about their numbers. Now, obviously not everyone, but uh, like there's certain numbers that you just have to know about your business. You have to know what's going on. It's the the blood of your business. And that, that's kind of my goal is to help people understand their numbers better. And I mean, I, I don't necessarily need to worry about all the fine details on how bookkeeping is getting done. That's what the the CPAs and, and all the, the yeah. high level bookkeepers and stuff out there do. But at the end of the day, I need to be able to understand my numbers and make good decisions based on what the numbers are telling me. And that's what I want to help entrepreneurs do. So, so where are the places that most e-com sellers fall apart from a financial, for a financial understanding perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, it, there's top level stuff. There are certain marketplaces like Amazon make their fees very complex. And sometimes you just see the money that hits your bank account without actually understanding the, the numbers that go in there. There's the inventory and the cost of goods sold. And everyone's a little bit um, custom on how they do that. There's print on demand. There's people paying half for half their inventory up front, half later or net 90. There's just a lot of things that make that complicated. And underst- actually understanding your profit margins on different products, or even you, you've got e-commerce sellers that have different brands inside one business. You need to know these things because you could be selling five products and you've been losing money on one of them for the past two years. And you don't know that because your business isn't segmented bookkeeping wise. So those are some random examples, but, but there's certain things that you need to know as an e-commerce example, an e-commerce seller. Yeah. And, and, and what's the, if you're going to like boil this down to like the most essential KPIs that any commerce seller needs to know what. Yeah, I think it's profit margin um, per product, and obviously your your real net. What are you actually making at the end of the day, and then tracking expenses al- along with it. I mean, if you have those.
Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Kilroy Report. Your support means a lot. If you liked this episode, hated this episode, whatever, please leave your feedback at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you do that sort of thing. And if you're one of the brilliant people who love this, think about subscribing. It'll do you good. Thank you.